0: Good morning, everyone. Um, If anyone's new here, you need a hard copy of a Bible. We have three lovely people at the back there. Just raise your hands, and if you need a copy of a Bible, raise your hands and get it out to you. Uh, This morning's Bible reading is taken from the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 5, and I'll be reading from verse 21 to 27. Ephesians. Chapter 5, verses 21 to 27. I'll just pray before that. Dear Lord, we thank you for gathering us uh, over your word. We pray that uh, as your word is spoken and your word is preached, that uh, you open our hearts to hear and our eyes to see. In Jesus' name, Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, church. Welcome to CPE, and it's wonderful to see everyone gather today, especially if you're new or newish to CPE church, a warm welcome From myself, my name's Iggy, I'm one of the pastors here. I hope you'll be encouraged by God's Word. And having said that, please keep your Bibles open as well as we dig into God's Word because it's God that's speaking to us. Ultimately, we want to be opening His Scriptures. Now we're thinking about the topic of church today. Such an important topic as we start the new year. Uh, I guess the question that we want to start thinking about is how much does church actually matter? How much does church matter to you? Now, I assume it matters to you because you are actually here, you made the effort, you guys are 8.45 service, you get up early to come, how good is that? You put in the effort to come early to church, I assume it matters to you, but you know, that's not really the case for all Christians, people who trust Jesus Christ. Recent studies have actually shown that roughly 65, on any given Sunday, it's only 65% of the church that's present. That means over 25% of the church is just not, not here every, every week. And there was COVID that made us rethink church, didn't it? seems a little while ago, but it really changed the landscape of how we see church, what we think about it. For some of us, it was much less exhausting when in-person church stopped. We didn't have to serve. We didn't have to get up early. We could do church at home in our pajamas. It sounds bad to say it, but we sort of enjoyed it, didn't we? And it made us question, do we even need to gather in person? I mean, we have church online, you know, I can stream the sermon in my living room, I, and I can, I can actually stream the best sermons from pastors all around the world right to me in my living room, how good's that? Which raises a lot of important questions for us that we'll engage with today. What is church? Why does it matter? What is church for? What, what, what's its purpose? And today's sermon is going to help us build strong biblical foundations to help us uh, to see not just what we think about church as well, but what God thinks, and that's what really matters. If we get this right, I think it'll transform the way that we see who we are and how we approach church, not just this year, but for a lifetime. Just to prepare you, there is a lot of big concepts in this sermon, yeah? So, you've got to be sharp, you've got to stay with me, but it's worth it, trust me, because these are really foundational. There's two big parts of the sermon, what is the church and why does the church matter to God, okay? So, the first point um, is, what is the church? Now, the word church is used in many different ways. You might have heard it, you know, used in, as a denomination, you know, the Anglican Church, the Presbyterian Church. You might have heard it used to describe a building. Come to CP Church, Sat 23 Beanley Road. But if we look into the Bible, we see there's something at the very core of what church actually means. And do you know what it is? It's about people. It's about people. The word translated church in our New Testaments is actually the Greek word ecclesia, which means assembly or gathering. It's not strictly a religious word, But the early Christians adopted that term because at the heart of who they were was the fact that they were people that assembled, that gathered together regularly. And although we see the birth of the modern church in the book of Acts, this gathering has always been significant for God's people. It's always been the case. One of the most important gatherings in the Old Testament is at Mount Sinai. You know Mount Sinai where God gathered his people, gave the Ten Commandments to Moses after delivering them from Egypt. Moses reflects on this experience in Deuteronomy 4. So I'll put it up on the screen, but you can turn to in your Bibles if you like to. Deuteronomy 4. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, which is another name for Sinai, when he said to me, "Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me, as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children." You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. That's Deuteronomy 4, verse 10 to 12. And here we see is probably one of the earliest versions of church. Yeah, Some key features. Church isn't just a random crowd of people gathered together. Did you see what it says? It's about the people of God gathered in worship together to hear His Word. People of God. There's purpose here. But I don't know if you noticed something... Interesting about this early Old Testament version of church. You actually probably didn't want to be there. You probably didn't want to be there. This is what it was like. It's fearsome. It's fearsome, because God is so holy and sin is so awful that we couldn't even come near to God. To come near to God would mean death. You, you wouldn't want to go to this church. I, I wouldn't want to come. Imagine CP Church. You come along and there's a fire blazing at the top of the building every time you come near. If you get too close to the stage, you die, because it's just too, it's too, it's too much, the glory of God. But that isn't our experience now. Thank, thanks be to God. Let me take you to one of the keystone passages to understand church, and that's Hebrews 12. It'll be coming up on the screen. Where it compares the church at Mount Sinai to the church we are part of now. Okay? So the first church, Mount Sinai, to the church we are now. Hebrews 12, 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches this mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. This is Mount Sinai, this is what it's talking about. But you have come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is a very different gathering, isn't it? A very different experience that it's describing. It's a very different picture of church. It's a picture of the heavenly church, and it's incredible. Did you see what it said in the passage? Have a look, have a look at what it says. Imagine it. Thousands of angels. Thousands of angels. Uh, the assembly of all the believers in history altogether. And what sort of assembly is it? It's a joyful assembly. Thousands of angels in joyful assembly. That's what it says at the verse, end of verse 22. The dominant mood, the dominant emotion here is not fear. It's not terror like at Mount Sinai, it's joy. What's the difference? Well, Jesus is there. Jesus is there. Jesus, who mediates for us, speaks on our behalf to our Father, God, and says this, They are with me. I've forgiven their sins. They can come near. This is an incredible picture of the heavenly church. A incredible picture. But it gets even more mind-blowing. Because, I don't know if you notice this, it doesn't say, you will come to the heavenly Jerusalem. What does it say? It says, verse 22, you have come. You have come. It's past tense. And you don't have to be a grammar expert to know what this means. It's already happened. It's already happened. Let me ask you a bit of an existential question that maybe you probably... Um, don't think about too much, but where are you? Where are you? At a very basic level, you're sitting in a plastic chair in a Cooper's Plains in an old converted warehouse. That's where you are. But at the same time, at the very same time, in some way that we can't fathom, if we have trusted in Christ, right now we are gathered with all the angels in heaven and every single believer around the world with thousands of angels singing in joyful worship to God. At the same time, that's where we are right now. That's what this passage is saying. How does that work? I have no idea. I don't know. But it's happening. That's what the Scriptures are saying is happening. Spiritually, we are with all other believers gathered around the throne in church. We're churching right now with God. Friends, what are the implications of this? Well, the big one is actually this. We don't just go to church. We are the church. We don't just go to church. We are the church. It's not simply a building. It's not simply an event on Sunday. Church is who we are. It's part of our identity as Christians. Church is about people, God's people, gathered in worship to hear God's word. This is inherent to our identity but because it's happening right now in the heavenly places. And guess what? It keeps happening even when you leave this building. It's not bound to this little location right now. You, you are only church when you come to, ch- to a church. You are the church. You are the church. When you're sitting behind your computer at work on Monday, when you're changing nappies, when you're having a coffee with a friend, guess what? You are part of God's church if you've come to Christ. This is not an optional extra. This is what happens when you get saved. You don't opt in to being part of God's church. You're brought in. You're brought in. When you are saved, when you're united to Christ by faith, when you partake in all that he has has achieved through the cross and resurrection, when you have forgiveness of sins, when you are reconciled back to God, when you can draw near to God again in joy, not in fear and terror like Israel did, when all these things happen through faith, you become the church. You become the church. You're connected into a new community, a new family, a new gathering of believers in, in the heavenly places with Christ right now. God does this. Which means we don't just go to church, we are the church. This is who we are and we really have to understand this. Now the question that raises then is this. If we are the church wherever we are, then why do we bother coming each Sunday? What's the point? Not just sometimes, but every week without fail we try and come to church. Why does that even matter? Well, it's the same reason really, it's because this is who we are. We gather physically to express who we are spiritually we gather physically to express who we are spiritually friends going to church does not make you a christian but if you are christian you will go to church think about your family i'm part of the wong family that's my clan my heritage I've got a mum and a dad, I've got two brothers, I'm a Wong, that's part of who I am, and nothing will ever change that, right? I'm part of this family, that's not going to change, it's my blood, that's my identity. But what sort of family would it be if I never ever saw them? If we never talked to each other, if we never connected with each other, if we never loved and served each other, would that actually be reflecting who I am? There's something not right there. In the same way, if you recognize who you are, that you are part of a new people, that you are part of a new family, that you are part of God's church, then you'll seek to live that out. That identity will drive it. You are the church. The word literally means gather. That's what the word means, a gathering. And every time we gather together, something very special is happening, very special. We are reflecting what's going on in heaven, in the heavenly places right now. A multitude of God's people gathered around His throne, worshipping in joyful praise. We're we're reflecting this in just a small way in our local church. We gather physically as an expression of who we are spiritually. So, what is church? The church is the people of God gathered together in worship to hear His word. And this isn't just a Sunday thing. If you are a believer, you are the church wherever you go. You reflect you are part of the heavenly church that's doing this all the time, no matter where you are, this is your identity. But when you come on Sundays, you express this in a very special way. Every time you physically gather together with other believers, you're expressing that. That's what church is. And now I wanna show you what God thinks about this and what our second point, why church matters to God. All right? The first thing I wanna show you is this. The church is at the center of all God's purposes. The church is at the center of God's purposes. Let me read to you from Ephesians 3, uh, verses 8 to 12. So you can open that up or else it's coming on the screen. Ephesians 3, verses 8 to 12. Although I am less than the least of the, all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, my apologies. To preach to the Gentiles the balanced riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our lord in him and through faith in him we may approach god with freedom and confidence now this is a massive passage but let me try and sum this up okay let me just try and bring out one some really key things here the, the, the key thing to really note from this passage is this, the church is a showcase of God's glory, right? The church is a showcase of God's glory. It's a theater where God's glory is displayed to all creation. This is, um, it's, in this chapter, it talks about the angels and authorities in heaven watching the church. In Colossians, it talks about evil powers and authorities watching the church. All creation is watching the church. And what do they see when they watch the Church. Well, firstly, verse 12. Have a look at verse 12. Firstly, they see a people reconciled back to God. In Him, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Because of Jesus, sinners are forgiven. They're brought back into the family. They can come near to God again. That's That's the first thing that the world sees, the creation sees when they look at the church. Sinners reconciled back to their God. But they don't just see that. They also see a people reconciled to each other. Ephesians 3, 8. Although I am less in the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. What's the mystery that's being talked about? Yeah, what's the apostle Paul talking about? What's this mystery? What's this thing that's been hidden away for ages but not made clear till now? Well, it's this. It's the fact that everyone, everywhere, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, that you can be part of God's people. That's the mystery. That even Gentiles, seen as pagan enemies of God, worshippers of foreign gods, can now be recipients of the boundless riches of Christ. That's the mystery. That's the core message here. That people who are so despised, that so despised each other, and that was so far apart can now come into the same family. That people who are so far apart can be united as a new people, sharing the same faith, the same Lord, the same Savior. That this random collection of people with different cultures and different languages and values and different color can sometimes somehow, in some incredible way, now be one people, singing with one voice, praising the same God. That's the mystery. This is incredible. And that's what you see when you look at God's church. Think about our church. You see a collection, think about it. There's a bunch of random people here that normally may not have nothing to do with each other. But you see this group of people, and we all come, and we come united. We're all reconciled to the same God. And because of that, we're also reconciled to each other. This is amazing. It's amazing, really, when you think about it. When you you think about how hard it is for humans to get on with each other, the unity of the church is something that brings God great glory. I often see on social media parents posting up pictures of their kids uh, and their achievements, right? Um, It could be like, look, my my kid got some academic award or they just won some sporting medal or something like that. Now, my question is, why do parents post up things of the kids online? because they want to show off. That's right. Isn't that case? I've, I've done that before as well because they're proud of their children. They're proud of their children. And God sort of like this with their church. He's saying to all the angels in heavens, guys, have a look at my church. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Look how amazing it is. Look how different they are, how they all come from different places, how they all have different values, but somehow they're united together and they're loving each other and they're serving each other and they're growing. Look at this church. Isn't it amazing? He's saying this to the angels. And then God is saying to to Satan and all the evil authorities, look at my church, you lost. You thought you could cause chaos and disunity and hate and tear apart my people? Well, look at my church. Look, it's there, it's united. But here's the difference between a proud parent and their kids and God and us. We didn't actually achieve anything. It was all God's work. He's proud of us, but he was the one that did it. So the universe, when you think about it, the angels, uh, the evil authorities, the only thing they can say in response is, God, you are amazing. That is amazing. All glory to you. Do you see why the church matters to God? You might not think of the church like this, but the church is actually the center of all God's purposes. It's a place that he chose to showcase his glory to the world, to all creation. All creation. We might not think of our church as a showcase of God's glory and wisdom. That's not the first thing that might come to mind when I ask you, what do you think of when you hear the word church? That might have not come to mind. We might actually be a bit embarrassed of our church or the church on a wider scale. But know this, the church is God's way of declaring to the world he's defeated sin. He has created a new people in Christ and he deserves all the glory. That's the first reason why the church really matters to God. But the church also matters to God for much simpler but very profound reason. It's this. God loves the church. It matters to God because he loves the church. Let me read to you um, from verse, the reading that we had before, Ephesians 5. And I'll start from verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present it to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, this is a section of instructions for husbands and wives. There are profound truths here about the... Uh, but as we look into this, there's really deeper profound truths about the relationship of Christ and his church. If you got the wrong view of Christianity, you might think of Jesus as a bit like a strict teacher, a little bit like Miss Trunchbull from Matilda. Do you know who, who that is? Yeah. Someone who's simply dishing out a list of rules that we have to comply with, otherwise we'll be punished. That's how you might see Jesus. That even as his church, he's sort of looking down at us. He's reluctantly accepted us. He says, oh, I guess if I have to. And he's looking for any chance to kick us out, to say, huh, I knew you were a failure. You might think Jesus like that. That's how you feel towards Jesus. But did you see what the Scriptures actually say? The picture the Scriptures give us cannot be further from this truth. The picture here is Jesus as a loving husband who absolutely adores His bride, the church, you and me. He adores His bride, people who are so sinful and flawed and so imperfect, yet He loves us. That's the picture it's giving us. Now, I've been to more weddings than I can count. As a pastor, that's part and parcel of what I do. Uh, one moment which is always really magical, uh, which essentially everyone's that's why they're there, they want to see the bride, right? When the, do- when the doors open and the bride uh, walks in, everyone stops, they take a breath, and um, she's walking in. It's this magical moment. Um, but what I love to do, because uh, I often have this privilege, is I like to take a sneaky peek at the groom's face, to see what he's how he's feeling. And without a doubt, there's just an expression of pure joy on the groom's face. The latest wedding I did, then I hear then the next service, the latest wedding I did was Wayne and JC, uh, two of our church members. Um, this was particularly true. As soon as the doors open and JC was standing there in all her splendor there, Wayne just started crying straight away. He, thought, he doesn't mind me. He, it was public, everyone everyone saw it. It's not a secret. It's okay. Come on. But it just showed me, man, wow, like this is a man who loves his wife, right? That joy that came from him, just seeing his bride walking down the aisle. And friends, that's how Christ looks at us, like a loving husband towards his bride. He loves his church so much, so much. And I know this to be true. I know this to be true, because, without a doubt, because Christ died for the church, God the Son stepped down from His heavenly throne, came into our broken world, was beaten and spat on. He was disgraced. He was nailed to a criminal's cross. He was killed for His bride, for you, for me, for His church. Why? Because He loves us. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the church only exists because Jesus has loved it into existence. When we were at our worst, sinful, selfish people that didn't want anything to do with God, Jesus came for us and he loved us, poured out his very life for us. And his love transforms us from being enemies of God to beloved people, his bride. Because his great love saves us, his sacrifice saves us. And friends, his great love sanctifies us as well. This passage tells us that also in a sense in Christ's eyes we are holy already. We are his beloved church and when he looks at us he doesn't see all our flaws and imperfections but like a loving husband comforting an insecure wife he says you're perfect to me. You're perfect because Christ's death has paid for our sins already but there's also a very real sense that we are works in progress. That through the word God's powerful word, we are being transformed bit by bit, day by day, to be his truly perfect church. Did you see that? Verse 25, husbands love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. That's how much Christ loves us, that he's still day by day working to transform us, to cleanse us, to make us holy. And we're going to celebrate that final day when Christ returns for his bride. Friends, it's probably the biggest understatement in the world to say this, but the church is very special to God. Very special. He loves the church so much that he sacrifices his very life for her. Not just to individuals, but to bring together a new people, united as one by the fact that we are all recipients of his love. He sacrifices his life to win for himself a beautiful bride, his church, in which he can rejoice. The church matters to God. And friends, if the church matters to God, then it should matter to you. It's our final point, why church should matter to you. Let's be honest, sometimes we would rather be without church. That's the truth, isn't it? It's messy, it's inconvenient. Sometimes it hurts us. People disappoint us. People don't do what we think they should. It's very imperfect. It can even be a bit ugly. As a pastor, I've seen this more than most, let me tell you. But I want us all to see the church like God sees the church. It is so precious to Him. So precious. It's the center of all His plans, the place where His glory is revealed to the whole universe, where victory over sin and death is proclaimed. And it's also the object of His love. The church is His bride, which He died for, to save her and sanctify her. Nothing matters more to God than his church. 19th century Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon uh, had a great quote, which I'll finish on here. Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If i never joined a church till I'd found one that was perfect, I, wouldn't, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it for it would have not been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. Despite all its flaws, the church is the dearest place on earth to us, because it is the dearest place on earth to God. I wonder if this is how you see your community here at CPE Church. Is this how you see your church? Brothers and sisters, may we see with the eyes of Christ how precious and how special and how beloved this church is. Let me pray. Father God, we are so thankful to you for Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the one who, out of his great love, died for us while we were still sinners to bring us together as a new people, a new family, a new church. We pray that even as we live in this imperfect reality of church and while we still have sin in our hearts, that we will see the church as you see it, that we won't give up on the church easily, but we will see how precious and beloved the church is to you and likewise we will love and cherish the church the same. Father, by your Holy Spirit, help us to do this for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends. I'd love for you to take a few moments to just reflect on the scriptures that we've heard today. Perhaps you want to pray a silent prayer in your heart to God to help you to live this out. Perhaps you just want to dwell on these truths. Please take a few moments to reflect.